Welcome to Fit to Be Radio, where we bring you all things fitness, core, and diastases recti related. While we're having this little chat, we hope you'll shuffle into your shoes, grab your water, and take us along for a walk while we talk. Or maybe you're listening as you make dinner or drive or do dishes. Hey, you can always work out with us later on fittobe.com, where we have over 200 gorgeous, family-friendly, tummy-safe exercise videos ready for you to stream. Now let's get this show on the road. You guys ready? Yes. Yep. All right. Born ready. Born ready. I love that. I, I love your first one, though, when you're like, I wish I could just say all those things. I know. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to 50 Radio. My name is Chris Banky. I'll be your host today. I've got Beth Learn. She's the CEO and founder of Fit to Be Studio with us as always. We also have with us Dr. Susie Gronsky. Excited to talk to Susie about um, some topics that we've never touched on yet on Fit to Be Radio. We are like, I think we're, I think we're like 40 or 50 episodes in now. Is it that many? Mm -hmm. I think it is. I think we're like almost a whole year in and we've never touched on these things. We're going to talk about pelvic floor today and those you guys are like no no you talk about that every week no (laughs) not not this way so Susie thank you for spending some time with us appreciate that um where are you located in the world thank you for having me Beth and Chris I'm in Asheville North Carolina oh awesome how's the weather there right now it is 70s and beautiful. What? That's fantastic. It's actually <laughs> 70s and beautiful here too. I'm very feel very lucky. How long have you been in North Carolina? It'll be two years this Halloween, and I moved from the Chicagoland area. Okay, so what? Pretty different, right? So how? Very different. So what? What do you like better? How is it? How's the adjustment going? Two years isn't that long yet. No, but it's it's been awesome. We've moved uh, for lifestyle. We love the outdoors, slower pace of living, you know, trying to get out of the rat race. Yeah. And it's been great. We moved with our two dogs. My husband and I moved with our two dogs and it's been the best move ever since. That is fantastic. So, so you like it. You love you're staying. You're putting in roots. So far. So far, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um <laughs> so how do you and Beth know each other how are, how are you guys connected well, I well we met a big at, shocker <laughs> yeah right the public health world right we actually met at jessica drummond's was it the women's and women's health summit yeah yep, that's a where we met mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah i um was going around talking to people and i think you and i really connected right at the end of that event when i was doing a facebook live and I heard about you and your book for men. And I went over and talked to you and my eyes got huge. <laughs> okay. It happened. Okay. So, okay. So you're getting into um, what, what we're going to talk about today a little bit. So, um, so Susie, so we want to talk about pelvic floor and you specialize mm-hmm. in that. And a lot of our guests do, but what talk a little bit about specifically your area of expertise and then also definitely talk about the book and we'll put a link to the book in the show notes too so if you're listening to this you'll be able to to get to it so why don't you mm-hmm. fill us in because i'm kind of letting people wonder and now they need to know oh this well, is wait, before she does that wait, wait. i know before she does that i'm just gonna say look 
we always talk about mostly girl stuff here on Fit to Be, and we keep it pretty family friendly. However, we've got Susie for a limited time, and a lot of people feel a lot of taboos around the words used um, around male pelvic health. And so we're going to kind of go no holds barred today. So if you're concerned about what little ears might hear in terms of male anatomy, you may want to hit pause. And then come back in a little bit. We're still going to keep it pretty kosher and PG, but I just wanted to give everybody a heads up that we are going to really tackle this one today. So <laughs> now you can tell us. Judy. You've been warned. You've been warned. <laughs> yes. I will definitely keep it PG. I promise. I promise. Oh, come on. Now I said <laughs> it. Now I said it. Now you have free reign. <laughs> I do, I do. So what is it that I do? Okay, so yes, I'm a uh, doctor of physical therapy that specializes in pelvic health, but my specialty area is treating male pelvic health issues. And that can range anywhere from pelvic pain, so pain in the testicles or the penis or in the tailbone area or the sit bone area, Really, any of the same parts that females can have pain in, it, it all works kind of the same. It just looks different. It's arranged differently. Mm -hmm. So um, I treat that area. So that's the pain aspect. But you can also have sexual dysfunction, so erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, even bladder issues, so urgency and frequency that most women also experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, has you know any any of those kinds of bladder issues can also be an issue for a guy. And if a male has had prostate surgery for whatever reason, but most commonly for prostate cancer, then that requires post pre and post rehab. So getting continence back. So a, a male can experience incontinence with a surgical procedure like that. And so it's really important to have pre and post rehab for those types of issues as well. Right. You shared a story on your Facebook page or Instagram recently about um, a male client you had who had had prostate surgery, who was pretty much written off by his doctors when he was dealing with severe fecal incontinence and was basically living in diapers. And I can't remember the actual numbers, but can you sum up that story really quick? Because it was so pivotal to read. Yeah. So this patient came all the way from Texas to see me, did not have any pre-rehab. I mean, when, these guys, when you have prostate cancer or any type of diagnosis that is life-threatening, the last thing you're thinking about are the repercussions after a surgery. All you're thinking about is survival. And they may, a lot of guys, doc, doctors and surgeons will precaution, right? Saying there's a chance that sexual dysfunction might not return. You might have incontinence that you might have to live with, you know, that sort of thing. But when a guy is listening or anyone that has a diagnosis of cancer, it really freaks you out, understandably, right? Right. So, Immediately, you know, yes, let's do everything we can to prevent this from getting worse. You know, I've got lots more years to live. Great. And, and surgery happens. Technology has come a long way. They're doing um, the Da Vinci laparoscopic procedures for that nerve sparing. So the nerves around the bladder, the nerves around the penis that go to the penis, they're usually spared, again, depending on the extent of the surgery. In any case, I digress. This gentleman had the nerve sparing procedure. And things seemed very fine, healing well, but was having incontinence. There was no pre-rehab. 
no, like, what do these muscles do? What's going to happen? What should you do to prepare for the surgery? There was none of that talk. And then afterwards, there was no talk of, well, what should I do to help with incontinence after that? And there was really none of that. Then they finally said, well, you can see a pelvic floor PT, but that was already several weeks post. And again, depending on someone's scope of practice and comfort level with treating a male, that will also make a difference, I think, of the right cues that you use in terms of recruiting these muscles. Because we know for, for really evidence has shown that there's a certain specific cueing that you want to use when you're returning back continence for men. Like you want to make sure you're using certain words that will help them recruit muscles that help with that continence mechanism. Because when you have surgery, they, you really just have only one sphincter working for you now. We usually have two, right? One at the, um, the bladder neck and one at the end of the prostate. And when they remove the prostate, they remove the, the muscle that helps with internal control of continence. So you, don't, you no longer have that. So it's really important to recruit the external urethral sphincter and the muscles around the penis. And you have to do that correctly without holding your breath, without bearing down. Um, and we talk about things like weight management, because that's going to be really important. So all of these things were kind of overlooked um, during those treat those important mm-hmm. aspects of treatment. And there was a little bit of progress, but not so much. So he didn't give up, which is great. So he still had hope yeah. that he can get better, which is awesome. And he found me through the internet and we hooked, we got together and we worked together. And that's when he, in that six days, he went from 10 to 15 pads, fully saturated to three pads. Wow. In six that's days. A day. Yeah. In six days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. That's amazing progress just by using appropriate cues, giving someone hope back again because he was really freaked out about living like this. And, you know, you can imagine if you're leaking on yourself, you don't want to play golf. You don't want to go social socialize with your friends because you're afraid, like, what if I leak through my, you know, my diaper, right? right. Yeah. Am I going to be able to change? Do I have to bring a whole backpack with me? I mean, it's a lot of psychological and sociological aspects that go along with that type of surgery, that type of diagnosis. I mean, it's really life-changing and life-altering. And having a good support system to help you through some of these milestones is really important. Not just from a physical therapy standpoint, but I really do think from like a psychological standpoint as well, because that diagnosis is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, all by itself without the realization of everything else. Would would you say, I mean, you kind of alluded to this, but would you say that, 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 that kind of training, preparation, discussion, education is pretty much non-existent normally? It's hard to say, to be honest. I don't know, like, facts for that. I do think it is pretty rare. I think, you know, when a surgeon goes in, the job is to, you know, get rid of the cancer, remove the organ and any parts that are involved, and that's it. Their job is done. I don't want to speak for every surgeon because I do believe – wholeheartedly that there are individuals and healthcare providers that look at the whole person and really acknowledge Mm -hmm. that and have a really good plan set in place for that person. Like, yes, we're going to have to talk about depression. You're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with, you know, some mental coaching around this just to make sure that you're in the right state of mind before your surgery and after your surgery. Again, how do we cope with these, 
these life predicaments that come our way. And so um, I think that's really important, but I don't think that everyone's on board with that. And, and you know, again, well-intended individuals, you know, you're helping people, yeah. but time is a factor, politics is a factor, you know, they're training they're, and all they're, that. They're like zeroed in on their thing and they're not thinking yes. oh, yeah. somebody else's thing, which mm-hmm. is, you know, um, that's horrible. It's not totally their fault. Um, it's also part, partly the industry is set up in a way where th- like they don't really have the option to spend lots of time with their patients. Um, and so it's, it's a complicated problem. And like so many of the podcasts that we talk about and the issues we talk about on this podcast, it's just a lack of education. It's just a general mm-hmm. lack of education. So, so, okay. So we talked about one thing, what are, um, what are other very common things that men are facing that um, the people aren't talking about? Mm, yeah, because yeah, I feel so. like women, if there's taboos enough right there, and even as you talked, I'm thinking women, we've kind of normalized that we have issues after having kids. It's almost expected. And it's, I feel like I'm fighting this uphill campaign of um, no, that's not normal and we can fix that. Whereas, there's it's the opposite or it may be the opposite i suspect so with men what do you mean men do talk about things yeah like men don't talk about it at all it's not normalized it's it's incredibly even more like we we have signs like haha i laughed so hard water ran down my leg there's signs in stores you can buy that says that that says that look my grammar but for men no no Mm-mm. that's cultural yeah. too i i do believe like the culture around it like um mm-hmm. it depends on what we're talking about when we're talking about these parts especially for men right there's a lot of jokes around yeah. the penis and testicles and all sorts of yeah. fun jokes right and different <laughs> names that you can name your body parts yeah. uh but, but when something actually does happen down there that can be quite alarming for anyone number one but for a guy I feel like there's even more isolation because men typically don't go to the doctor often or they tend to avoid it until it gets really bad. And again, I'm just generalizing, not for everyone. I understand Mm -hmm. that. But most commonly it will be, I'm going to wait until it gets worse. Let's wait it out. Let's see what happens. Um, And they're not talking about it, especially, I mean, think about it. If I sprain my wrist, I can show everyone, Hey, look, Look at this, like my wrist is swollen. Like, what do you think is happening here, right? But when you have something happen down in your genitals, it, you're not whipping it out, asking people, what do you think this is? Like in the locker that's room it. or something, or to your buddies or your friends or your family. I mean, that's the last thing you're yeah. thinking about, which adds another Unless you're layer. My son. My <laughs> right? son, he's 10, and just the other day, he walks out, whips his pants down, Mom, what? And my daughter's like, <laughs> My eyes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that could be this or it could be that or, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, exactly. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But that's a good like question. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd yeah. ask, like, what are some of the common things guys deal with? Sorry, I totally derailed that. No, 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 that's totally fine. So some of the some of the things that guys may experience that they're not talking about, right, is particularly pain like they feel something maybe post ejaculation or during interaction or or um while they're having intercourse 
and, and or masturbating and it freaks them out. Like, whoa, I never felt that before. What is this? Right. And so what do you do when something down there is freaking you out? You Google the first thing, like pain <laughs> or, you know, symptoms. You're, you're typing in your symptomology and there's a lot of scary stuff you that up with some shows horrible up. results if you Google that. Yeah, it's like yes. SGD. And all yeah, right. And, and, you know, it's an infection or it's cancer or something like that. And, and again, you know, all valid points. I'm not saying that it, that it isn't possible but very rare and where do guys go to get help well number one i you know for women we have a gynecologist we can go to right uh, mm -hmm. a female doctor mm -hmm. but where do guys go when they are not feeling well down there um where do you look and i know my husband has attested to that and said like i wouldn't even know where to start where to get help you know other than the internet like who do i go see as a specialist to help me with this so typically men will go to a urologist. So that's one of the symptoms. So they'll feel some sort of pain, whether that's burning, whether that's achiness, um, a, a deep pressure feeling within their abdomen, around their bladder, around their tailbone. You know, something, again, that startles them that feels abnormal, that wasn't there, and it's really starting to impact their quality of life. Like sitting is a problem because it's painful. Um, they start to see changes in their, their actual structure of their penis because I mean, let's face it, when you're in a fight or flight situation, no one's giving you answers because scans are turning up negative. Doctors are just, you know, giving you antibiotics for an infection that doesn't exist. So that's messing up with your gut. And so you're less hopeless and helpless. And that is like a big mountain lion, you know, walking around with you. And until those are all calmed down, I'm afraid that that is going to trickle a physiological, biochemical, um, impact in the body so like you'll have what stress will do to you right we all know the impacts of stress heart rate goes up your breathing changes muscle tension changes you might even start sweating you know again so soft tissue changes yeah. can happen just because there's this huge threat that hasn't been taken care of and because they go through the conventional medical system again not everyone not every conventional medical system has failed individuals, but for these for these men who experience these symptoms, I feel like they have been the treatments have failed them. They have not trained them. Yeah, they haven't failed the treatments. I feel that the the treatments have failed them, and mm -hmm. so um, and you're not looking at the whole picture. So, like I said, um, so they'll have pain. I digress too. <laughs> they'll have pain again with sitting, pain in the penis, pain in the testicles. Maybe they'll have post-vasectomy uh, pain. So that's fairly common, but underreported. Mm -hmm. So they'll have pain in the testicle, um, and they're just told to live with it. Uh, again, tests and scans are negative, and that freaks somebody out even more because they're thinking, you know, they're not they're just not finding it so bad that they can't find it. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It's interesting. Um, it all comes back to education. Uh, so I think mm -hmm. about... Um, how many of my peers I've talked to about vasectomies and they're like terrified. Oh, my brother had a, just a horrible nightmare experience. And I think that, I mean, obviously I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but obviously there are some people that have bad experiences, but mm -hmm. I think what actually happens more often than that is that they're not actually educated about what's going to happen after the vasectomy. And so then they, feel like they're having a horrible experience because they're getting back to work too fast. They're not 
doing whatever they need to do appropriately, or they're only doing part of the treatment. And I think not to throw mm-hmm. men under the bus, but like, I just think of my, um, this is nothing to do with the pelvic floor, but I just think of my father-in-law and, and he got a, a brown recluse spider bite on his toe. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was nothing to do with, nothing to do with the pelvic floor. And uh, he goes to the doctor after several days and the doctor says, man, I'm glad you came in. You would have waited one more day. You would have lost your toe. Take all of these, every single pill, take every single pill. uh, And it was antibiotic. And even though it's going to get better, take all of them. So Mm -hmm. he goes, starts taking the pills. It gets better. He stops taking the pills because he doesn't want to take the antibiotic pills. And then the thing comes back and he almost loses his pill again. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the same thing that happens with men. You know what? Actually, women do that too a lot. I think people we do. do that with their people. treatments. And it's, it's a like, human thing. It is like, a human thing. It is a human do thing. Do all of it. And, and then mm-hmm. so if you couple that with a lack of education in the first place, yeah. and you say, hey, this is what you're going to experience. This is what you should do ahead of time. This is what you should do before your vasectomy. This is what you should do after. And then they don't get any of that. And then they don't do any of the stuff they are told. Well, then no right. kidding, you're going to have a horrible experience. And then they, mm-hmm. then they have all this fear around it. And I talked mm-hmm. to like, you know, and I didn't, I, so I had a vasectomy when I, and I didn't really get any kind of education, but I did have enough education to kind of know what to expect. And then it was fine because I knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. But if I hadn't have done that, it would have been kind of freaky. Mm-hmm. So when I talked to people, they're like, no, I'm just, I don't think I could do that. It's just like. You know, I heard about this story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And that sticks with you, Uh right? It becomes really sticky. And so when you talk about pain in general, so like regardless of what body part we're talking about, whenever Mm -hmm. there's more credible evidence of danger versus safety, you're going to have a protective mechanism. You're going to have some sort of message that's going to say, the brain's going to say, I need to protect you. And you can have cardiovascular effects, respiratory effects, hormone effects, motor responses, all of that put in place just to protect you because there is a threat. And then those, the, all the little threats seem to tip you into mm-hmm. like, you know, a pa- no pain zone into a pain zone. It could be even a right. smell that reminds you of like a terrible time where you hurt yourself once or the person that you hate that you don't like. So it's really when I work with people in general that have pain, it's really important to find out what are those like triggers, those quote, dangers right. uh, that are lurking in hard-to-find places because that's what's keeping the cycle perpetuating over and over and over again. And and with pelvic pain in general, the, the, by the time a guy finds me, it's been either a year or two years or three or maybe even more where there has been no answer. There is still hopelessness and helplessness and frustration and anger and so much medical intervention, invasive procedures like cystoscopies, where that is not comfortable for men. I mean, it's like sticking a catheter in the tube that you pee out of, you know, especially when you're dealing with pain. So what are you naturally going to do? You're feeding that response to... Yeah. Yeah. If you read about that on Google, you're not going to be a doctor. You're just... uh, Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. then we know that that cardiovascular health affects penile health. Um, it's the big one. 
And so all those things you mentioned, like you said, soft tissue response, that is a soft tissue area. And so that's going to affect the blood flow and that leads to erectile dysfunction. And you've got a constant case of a cold turtle happening, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. If you're like in pain and you have no (laughs) idea what's happening in your body and you think like, again, your penis does not know the difference between a mountain lion and a minor fender bender. Like it it just doesn't know the difference. The same uh, cycle of physiological processes are still occurring. It doesn't matter how big or how intense. It's the same response, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're under threat and and it hasn't been calmed down and nobody's educating you, like you're saying, Chris, like this education Mm -hmm. component about, well, why do you hurt? Is it a tissue issue or are we dealing with a pain issue at this point? And how do we kind of go about treating that? It's all about creating different neurological messages and pathways that are more positive and enhancing versus maladaptive and negative. And so again, the pelvis is a whole nother layer of stuff that we're dealing with. It's not just like your, you know, elbow sprain or shoulder injury or ankle injury or something like that. I mean, this is, this is, it holds a lot of value in real estate here. Yeah. There's a lot going on down there. And complexity. So so you touched on this a little bit, in you know pelvic pain in in men like is it just like is it really common or well the most recent stat that sticks in my brain in the u.s was over two uh is it two hundred thousand? Oh my gosh um i believe it is it's like over two hundred thousand. i'm gonna have to look here <laughs> sorry i'm not really good at remembering stats um but it's a lot so you know you can have anywhere upwards of 17% or less, upwards of half of a uh, 50% or 200,000 outpatient visits in the U.S. alone are based uh, from pelvic pain alone. So those, are the, those are the ones that are get, going for treatment, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, if they're not recording it, they're not reporting it. We don't. We don't know how much are just living mm-hmm. with it, thinking. So just I'm, knowing you know, this stat, yeah. knowing, knowing this stat that. Um, so many when they come to you they've been dealing with it for a long time mm-hmm. proves not mathematically we don't know what it is but it proves that whatever that number is that you can't remember right now that's big we know it's actually <laughs> way bigger than that because men aren't dealing yeah. with it. And a lot of the time whatever right. it is they kind of just get through or they learn to deal with or whatever right. but we know that it's right. big and it's common yeah, very common. I mean, and and just like pain in general is common. Like if you don't have a backache in three years, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> that's usually the that's usually you know it's normal for us to experience aches and pains. So but like I said, I think that the difference here is that you're dealing with the genitals, and we don't really think about our genitals at all. And so when something does go wrong, we're really freaked out and worried. Like, right. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like relationships being able to have children, working, I mean, all of the bigger ticket items of being a human being, right? I mean, just think about that, like how detrimental that is to somebody's world, right? When they're experiencing something that is really scary and and has no answers and everything is coming out negative because we're so taught to find it and fix it. And with, with persistent pain, um, it isn't a find it and fix it model that's going to get you out of pain. It's It's more of this biological psychological and sociological approach to integrating all of those things into somebody's world to get them to feel better and empowering them to just know that they're going to be okay 
and we need to start living life. You know how, and even in the face of adversity, even in the face of, of of discomfort, how can you still prevail and be resilient and still live your life and have a quality life? Because there's a lot of people who are have pain but are not letting pain rule them. They're living their life despite what's happening in their body. So mm-hmm. we know we know it's really common, mm-hmm. and we know that and we know that. Um, Way too many men Way too don't many men really do anything about it. They don't go see a specialist. They don't even talk to their regular doctor. We just, we know that to be true. The stats are all going to show that. So my question to you is, what should alarm them enough to be bold enough to seek out medical help? Like what the, the second they have pain that's abnormal for the first time, like, like when should they, mm-hmm. what should they do? I mean, Google is like scary. Oh, no. So what? And I would tack onto that, like, yeah. And 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 when do you recommend they see a PT versus their doctor? Right. So the internet can be good for some things if you find the right material. I'll just put it that way, because that is a lot of where people are getting their knowledge and information from. If you're good at really weeding out the BS, it's great. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think if you're experiencing it's hard pain, when you're reviewing things for yourself to weed out the BS because yeah. everything that's really horrible <laughs> seems like that could be true. When you're yeah. reading the yeah, yeah, yeah. for someone else, you're like, come on, okay, you're not gonna grow yeah. a third eyeball. But when you're right. talking about yourself, you're like, oh man, maybe it's coming in. I don't know. And you're worried about right. it. Well, right. And for men, if they're if they have one incident of erectile dysfunction and they Google that they might instantly think that they're due for a heart attack 30 seconds later, you know, because of the association. So yeah, just Mm -hmm. kind of help us dispel some myths and help us understand like, and even the difference between this is really a lot, but like young man versus older man too, like for a younger kid, at what point do they say something and versus an older guy? Old, Like just be careful what classifies. (laughs) So if you're going to say old is 40, because we're getting there. (laughs) all walks of life the whole spectrum right so that's a really big question let me think about that for a moment because where do I start with that when should a guy go get help well I think the first thing to do is to know like let's not reach out with an ache or pain that you feel down there it might not be anything at all it might just be a fluke nerves can do that the body can do that just like anywhere else in the body so I think calming down and not feeding into that, oh my gosh, there's something wrong, that really helps calm the immune system down and the nervous system down to decrease the threat. So if you can use strategies, now again, this depends on the person's coping mechanisms. How have they used strategies in the past? Like if they're already like flipping their lid, thinking that there's worst Mm -hmm. case scenario, I would definitely want to make sure we're calming that down because that will perpetuate and make pain worse. So really Mm -hmm. tying that into calming the nervous system down. And if they don't have that support system, that's when I would say, okay, go get yourself checked, perhaps go to the urologist, but know this, 95% of cases of pelvic pain are not due to an infection. This is based on evidence mm-hmm. and literature, 95, even to 97% I've, I've read. So that gives you a very small window that is actually an infection or quote unquote prostatitis, which is pointing and blaming the finger at the prostate. We know that the prostate, you can have inflammatory numbers. I'm going to ask you a question about that. So are you saying that most of the time when you go to the general practitioner, they're like, here you go. Here's your um, antibiotic. Go. Yep. 
Okay. Okay. Yep. And they're not checking for actual infection. And when you want to check for an actual infection, that does require prostatic fluid examination. So there's a, there, there are tests that you do to actually test if you have an actual prostatic infection. Yeah. And that could be an acute infection. And it goes away with antibiotics when you treat it. It's great. And, or if you have uh, an infection in your testicle, epididymitis is, is another thing. But you also have like feelings of malaise and tiredness and fever maybe, and you're getting the chills, you know, again, a general, this is an infection type feeling, right? You're, you're, you know what that feeling, right? When you're not feeling well and I might have an infection. That's the same thing. Now we, there is, there's even a category where you have prostatitis and inflammation in the prostate, but it's asymptomatic. So what does that tell you? That's a whole category in itself of a diagnosis. Like, oh, you have inflammation in your prostate, but it's asymptomatic. You're not feeling any pain. So you can have inflammation without any pain. So again, pain is an output of the brain, not an input. And I think this is where conventional medical providers lack in this education and knowledge. Healthcare providers, this is not part of the curriculum to understand pain biology and where it really comes from and what we know. This is modern pain science education. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. And that sends people down a rabbit hole. It sends people down many, mm-hmm. many unnecessary tests, exams, and frustration and anger and financial worry because it's expensive, you know, going to the doctor and paying your co-pays or maybe you're paying out of pocket. So really, it just, it can really go from something so minor which if I just get them right away and say, hey, listen, this is what we're dealing with. We can do some, some of these techniques and whatever we do, breathing, everything's going to be fine. I probably wouldn't see them ever again. So, you know? so with that in mind, yeah. um, so are you saying don't even go to the regular doctor? Just find a PT that's, that understands, you know. She is going on, yeah. Yeah, no, and that's fine. I mean, some some areas it depends because um, PT license scope of practice is different differs from state to state. Like I'm in North Carolina, I have full access, direct access. I have no restrictions. You can come to see me off the street. Oh, good. Yeah, and most states are transitioning to that, but there are some that have still restrictions. And also, if they're practicing more insurance therapy, insurance companies will also dictate whether or not you can see a specialist based on yeah. whether or not you went to your GP first and got a referral. The best way to treat things, insurance companies, they're good at it. <laughs> not, I know that's a whole other topic not, for another day, I swear. Uh, um, it's that. And, and uh, you can practice insurance therapy and expect people to get better. Um, but anyway, so no, I, what I think, okay. and I take this, this rule from my husband, Luke, I give him full credit, but he goes, give it the three-day rule. Like he goes, the three-day rule. Because I, I have to be honest, I'm human. And I grew up in a very like, oh my gosh, if something's wrong, you better go to the doctor. You can go, go, go mm-hmm. antibiotics, go, you're sick. No, nope, take Tylenol, do that. And I grew up that way. And so when I started dating my husband, Luke, he was the one like, well, you have a fever because your body is doing its thing. Like maybe you shouldn't suppress your own body natural mechanisms to get you better, right? Instead of right away throwing pills at it. And I, and that's what changed. I know he changed. he's a mechanic. He's a mechanic. He works as a car doctor. He knows nothing yeah. about like, the he body. Knew. He knew. He knew. And, and I'm telling you, it changed my entire life. I, that's when I started to think differently. It's like one of those aha moments where you're like, Oh my God, I've woken up. I'm awake. I got it. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Who's ruling? The body knows. The body knows. He's like, give it three days. If it's getting worse and you're not feeling better, then let's go check it out. But mm-hmm. at least give your give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Three days. Sit with it. Don't freak out. Eat well. Get some sleep and see if it's still there. And if it is, then I would say pursue. Just again to okay. re- rule out any red flag. Go to the urologist. Mm-hmm. That's who you. I would go to the GPs. They really don't have enough knowledge about what's happening down there. They don't even check. They don't even do a check to see. There's some doctors of my patients that don't touch and don't check this area whatsoever. That's which is like, how are you going to diagnose them? My face, my face is like, what? Yeah, Yeah. that that came from actual patient who said that. Who's like, I was so frustrated. They didn't even want to touch my genitals or didn't even acknowledge, like, look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. need. Yeah, that's wow. That, hopefully, that's an exception, but my gut tells me it's not. But let's let's move on. So, okay. So like I said, they waited their three days. They yeah. are getting better. They're they're calling in and they're like, okay, Susie. And they're like, come, I'm not working out. In. I'm not even working out because everything hurts so bad. I mean, that's yeah. another sign, right? I'm, I'm coming <laughs> that's in. I'm coming sign. in. So, so, so they're making. They're, they're coming in. What are they? what are they going to find when they meet with you or, or a PT that specializes in this, that's really empowered to help mm-hmm. them? What can they expect? I love this question. They should expect a full body assessment, not just their private parts, not a finger in the bum. Cause that's part of the exam. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be. However, you should expect a full body assessment and you should expect explanations of why we're doing what we're doing what are the potential causes based on their interview with you? They should expect someone to listen to them, to listen to their story and, and their fears and their frustration. That in itself is therapy. That, that is number one, I think, on my list is let's sit down. Let's be human together. Let, let me hear your story. Tell me what are the, most, the things that you're worrying about the most with this issue that you're dealing with. And from there, that's where I guide the initial evaluation and their treatment. You know, what does better look like for you? What what is realistic for you to start with now? And honestly, educating them about pain, a little bit of pain biology and therapeutic like neuroscience. What you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, like telling them like, hey, this is really common. Don't worry, like this will go away. Know that this is what we're going to do to get you to feel better. And once you learn more about why you hurt, you hurt less automatically. And that has been proven yep. in research. David Butler, Laura Mosley, the things I talked about earlier about the dangers in me and the safeties in me, that all is yeah. attributed to them. They're my mentors. They've written awesome books. Um, and they're neuroscientists who work with people and study people who have pain. So, Well, so much of it is a mental thing. And if you don't know why what's happening is happening, it's just going to, it's just going to amplify everything that's happening. Absolutely. Uh, like like an amplifier, a sensitive motion detector light, right? Like right. you can ramp it up to be super sensitive to the wind blowing or you can calm it down. And there are certain <laughs> strategies that you use to calm it down. And that's going to help with healing. That's going to help decrease the immune response, right? To, uh, right. Swelling, right. edema, all of I mean, all of it. So yeah, it, that's a huge component. And that, I think if we get that early on in our curriculum, in the patient's curriculum, in their plan, that's the best treatment ever. I've had a patient who was told to stop doing activities. 
And by a PT, again, I'm sure well-intended, but to staff all activities, he loved doing rowing. He loved playing golf. He loved fishing, but it was like, stop doing everything. It's everything he loves to do. And yeah, and it's like, no, you shouldn't stop what you're doing. You should, you should, you should keep doing what you're doing, but perhaps modify the things you're doing so we can calm things down. So calm things down, build things back up is yeah. the way we do it, especially when things are really sensitive. And after I had a, uh, I see my patients for two hours, but after I had the initial assessment with him, he immediately was 95% pain-free. Pain-free. Wow. Wow. Walking out the door, revelation yeah and again this is not always for everyone but but when you really get it and you understand like why you hurt and you really resonate and you can apply that to your life it can be a game changer a yeah. game changer yeah okay now i have, I have a, a question for you about oh yeah we're, we're both like so full of questions we're like oh but what about this um okay because I know, I think I know what Chris is going to ask you next, but, but I have to make the diocese connection really quick. And I, and I wish I had done this sooner, but I think this is a good place as well, because I mean, diocese being a separation of the abdominal wall, but not like a hernia, you know, that thing. Do you, do you see that in men who are dealing with a lot of pelvic pain? Because men do get this too. And what is the connection you see there? So men do get this diastasis and this doming, right? When they, you, you see this mm -hmm. kind of separation, but I'll be honest with you, men don't care about that. <laughs> men, men don't, this doesn't bother them aesthetically. And really what we know from the research, right. this is the recent research on it. Now, again, there's a lot of um, exercise routines around this and a lot of marketing that goes yeah. around this. Don't get me wrong. All those are all wonderful things. But the diastasis has not, there's nothing in the research that has shown that that is a direct cause or correlation to pain or any right. type of pain. Right. Right. With, yep. With the bow studies. Mm -hmm. Yep. With bow AL. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Carry bow. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, so really it's more aesthetics and how is it impacting the person's life? And I, like I said, guys have it, even guys that don't have pain. I'll have, you know, I treat erectile dysfunction without pain and they, they sometimes will have it and it causes yeah. nothing. It really, it's more of an aesthetic thing and they don't really worry about it. So for me to say mm -hmm. confidently that it causes, there's a direct correlation to that, there isn't. And it's been disproven. Mm -hmm. so. At least not. And well, and here's mm -hmm. my thing about that particular study. We were talking about this. Well, I was listening to an interview with Granny Donnelly and Michelle Lyons. They were discussing how that study was done on women who were about one year postpartum after they're just their first baby. Mm -hmm. And how they thought it'd be interesting if you were to actually follow that out a little further, because a lot of diastases and side effects from core dysfunction don't play out until later on or after they've had their second babies or, those, mm -hmm. or they've returned to exercise. And so now they've got a dysfunctional core. And so they were saying how there should be further research. But, but for you, I was more wondering just in general, your observations where when people are in so much pain, um, especially with this demographic that you work with, like, and they're just really shutting down at the level of their pelvis. And it sounds like the answer for you is no, you're not necessarily seeing that all of your clients have, you know, they have pelvic pain and, and some core dysfunction. Therefore, they also have some diastases. For you, you don't see a link there. No, okay. not, not at yeah. all. So yeah. And, and really, okay. there is no research on it, especially for men. There's no one's researching that yeah. at all. I don't think, and I haven't done the <coughs> search for that. I don't think there's much out there. Well, yeah. 
Okay. I have a, I have a okay. lot of online clients. We could we could pull them. We could we could set something up. It'd be interesting. <laughs> like, hey, go ask your husband. <laughs> yeah. That anyway, would be interesting. That, I just we, had we to do. get that out. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it seems like the theme throughout your the entire podcast is really being mindful and aware of yourself, and um, you owing it to yourself to um, see a doctor or a PT when you when you need to, and um, and that you shouldn't normalize the pain, um, and it's common. Mm-hmm. So you're not a weirdo, and you, you're not special. Right. You need. You're to not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. And I think mm-hmm. I think if somehow that message could get across to people, I think we'd have a happier population. Totally, I agree. So, Susie, thank, thank you, you so much. So much. <laughs> it's been super educational. It's been interesting, <laughs> kind of diverging from yeah. our normal pattern of topics on the radio, but I like it. That's so good. Yay, I'm glad I could help. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, on your show. This is great. and my passion, so thank you so much for allowing me to express that. Oh, for sure, for sure. You're welcome. All right, thank you. Good golly, Miss Molly, if that didn't give you something to chew on, I don't know what will. Thanks for listening. I really hope you join our community over at fitsby.com, where you can gain access to all our exercise videos and fitness e-courses. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to fit to be Radio, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at fit to be on Instagram at fit to be studio and on Facebook via fit to be Tummy Safe Fitness. See you soon.